Well, good evening. Is it evening? Afternoon? I don't know. Um, I'm Alexandra, and I'm so glad that I get to be here with you guys tonight. Um, let's get that started. And, um, you know, I am just so grateful to be down. I'm sorry. don't know what I did. To be um, down in the southeast with you guys. Um, you know, Jesse and I, he, we, ha- we made a pact when we got married that he would have to take me down to the south, like, whenever I really needed it. So this, this kind of was a dual thing this weekend. So it was like, it was satisfying that need to come back to the south and then also to get to see all of you. So thank you so much. I got to get away from snow. It's always a good thing. But, um, you know, it's, it's cool to be here. I feel like there's so many different people that I see that I have roots with. You know, Ali Saxton and I, who did a class together today, Um, Allie and I actually lived, we grew up on the same street our whole lives from the time, like I was five to 15. So, um, every morning of pretty much, like any time it ever snowed in North Carolina, which was a really big deal, right? I would show up at her house before she woke up. She was a couple years younger than, than me and I would wake her up and tell her the weather report, like how much snow we got and I would make her get out of bed and come, come play with me. So... That's kind of me and Allie's history. And then Courtney McGurk and I, she spent one magical semester with me at UGA. And, you know, Courtney is a couple years younger than me also. And we had like a freshman hangout night. And, um, and so I was driving her to this hangout. And um, somehow someone in my car had like a two-door Mazda. And someone got caught in the Mazda like seatbelt. And so I was helping them out of the car and laughing. And so they started falling and laugh and I was laughing and my mouth is kind of always open. So I have a big mouth so it's like, you know. And so <laughs> I was falling and bit the pavement. And so my tooth was chipped, like half of my front tooth. I'm panicking at this moment. And, like, I don't know what went through my mind. You know how, like, that thing where, like, if you lose a tooth, like, put it in milk and it'll, like, you, someone can fix it? Have you ever heard that before? No. Okay, well, apparently I had, I don't know. But that doesn't really work with, like, shards of tooth. And so, so I was like, Courtney, get you out of the ground now. Find my tooth. So we're, like, in the middle of the night, like, looking for it. And then I, like, realized, like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. So I call my dad, and he's like, well... Guess we'll have to get you a gold tooth. And I was like, Dad, I'm not Lil John. I'm not getting a gold tooth. <laughs> so mad at him. But um, so that's, you know, me and Courtney, the beginning of a, of a lifelong friendship. We're in each other's weddings. But anyways, it's great to be with all of you. And, um, and I'm so grateful that we can be together to learn about God, to learn about Jesus. And open up your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. The title of today's sermon is Walk the Walk. You know, Jesse did a great job last night of talking about the cross and us really making decisions based on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, right? You know, but tonight what we're going to focus on is kind of after we've made that initial decision to follow Jesus, what does the rest of our life need to look like? You know, this is kind of a now what kind of sermon. Maybe you looked at the cross like I did as a teenager and made some faithful decisions even based on that idea, right? And maybe you even made some decisions that had eternal consequences, right? Like you were like, all right, I'm going to make the decision to repent 
get baptized, but then we're kind of left going, okay, but what is my day-to-day life supposed to look like? Have you guys ever wondered that? Okay, now what? What what am I supposed to do? And to be honest, I think as Southerners, right, and I'm I'm still going to claim Southerner because I still say y'all all the time. But, you know, I think we get really good at talking the talk of Christianity. Do you know what I mean by that? You get really good at the Christianese lingo. But then the idea of living the lifestyle of, of a Christian, that gets a little fuzzy for us. Because let's be honest, the world that we live in has a lot of different views of what a Christian is. Has a lot of different ideas of what Jesus a lifestyle following Jesus is supposed to look like. So we really have to have to ask ourselves, are we really truly walking the walk of Jesus, or do we just know how to talk the talk? So let's look over at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. The first point that we're going to talk about today is one step forward, two steps back. In verse 1 it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also, With the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join with them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, Jesus' sacrifice, what this scripture is saying here, what Peter's talking about is that his sacrifice should have a life-altering effect on our lives. It should result in us living differently, saying goodbye to the sin from our past and living for Jesus. I love how it says, you've spent enough time in the past doing this, that, and the other. And isn't that the truth right there? We've spent enough time in the past living in the ways of this world. You know, I think um, some of these words that it lists here, they're kind of the Bible words that we don't really know what they mean. We just kind of learn how to pronounce. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're kind of like, oh yeah, debauchery. What is that? (laughs) Then you have to learn how to describe it in a Bible study. And you're like, okay, now I know what it actually means. But let's actually talk about what some of these words mean, okay? Can we do that? Debauchery, right? It means living a lifestyle of excess. You can be excessive with anything. Netflix. Anyone else have a have guilty of the Netflix debauchery every now and then? Oh, you don't raise your hands. I know it's true. Okay, there we go. <laughs> you know, we can be excessive with sleep. We can be excessive with dieting, right? We can be excessive with eating. We can be excessive with lust. You know, we can be excessive with all sorts of things. We can be debaucherous as women. In impurity, right? With guys, with watching porn, with with masturbation and compromising, with with so many different things, right? Debauchery, it's it's a powerful umbrella sin for us. You know, we can, it says next, um, with, with lust, with drunkenness. You know, I think this one, this is real, just on our college campuses. And isn't this the truth? We've spent enough time in the past doing those things. Getting drunk with our friends on campus. You know, drinking underage. You know, it says in orgies. I think sometimes we look at this and we're like, whew, okay, well, I haven't had sex with multiple people at the same time. But that's not really what this word means. 
What it actually means is being in an environment where multiple sins are going on at the same time. Did you know that's what it means? That, that's the ideal definition of a college party right there, right? You have people making out over here, having sex over here, getting drunk upstairs, getting high over there. God says, you spend enough time in the past doing those things. I don't want my daughter's living lifestyles like that. You know, carousing, it's a similar definition right there. We've spent enough time doing those things. It ends with idolatry. And isn't that true also? We've spent enough time putting other people, guys, ourselves, our schoolwork, our ambitions above Jesus. Guys, we've spent enough time doing these things. But some of us have forgotten that we were meant to leave those things behind. You know, 2 Peter here refers to a proverb in Proverbs 26, 11. And it talks about a dog returning returning to its vomit. <clears throat> you guys know the proverb I'm talking about? Yeah. It's a really disgusting proverb. But Proverbs 26, 11 says that. And Peter actually refers to it in this book. Uh, or in 2 Peter. And my husband and I have a dog named Huckleberry. And he's adorable, but he's also a demon. And he's really cute, but he's a bulldog. And, you know, when we first got him as a puppy, there is a day, so a couple months after we got him, we're like, he, you could tell he was really sick. And so he, he went to go throw up, go to throw up, which is so gross. I'm sorry, I'm telling you a throw up story right now. And I literally thought it was an organ. Like, I thought that this dog, it was like a bright pink organ. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, Jesse, he just threw up a lump. Like, I didn't know this is Oswald. And I'm like, you know, crying. Like, I was concerned. Like, because this is my child. And, um, and, you know, exactly what I thought a lung would look like. This is what he threw up. And then upon closer inspection, I realized it was a pink sock. So I was like, oh, okay, relieved. <laughs> but, um, you know, I wish I could tell you that from that moment on, like, Huck has like, left his sock-eating days behind. Not at all. Like, this is still a daily, weekly occurrence that he's, like, trying to find some socks to eat. Lindsay knows what I'm talking about because she has a puppy, too, and it's just the worst. And um, so anyways, you know, even the other day, I was cleaning up, like, his surprises in the yard, and found a sock and was like, ugh, what is this, this dog? You know, but the truth is, socks make Huck sick, right? They're not good for him. I'm sure they do not feel good coming out of his body. But for whatever reason, it doesn't stop him, right? It doesn't stop this crazy bulldog from eating every sock that he can find. And I think, to be honest with you, we can be the same way. I know that's disgusting, but you know it's true. <laughs> we know that the things that we just talked about a second ago are bad for us. You know, we know that they don't lead to anything positive long-term. And we know that they don't lead to anything godly or anything close to God. And yet, every time we keep on eating it, thinking, this time it'll be different. And I'll, I'll survive it this time. But spiritually, we're getting torn up. You know, it's kind of funny when it's a sock, right? We think it's no big deal, but there's real consequences. You know, the other day, Huck actually chewed up like a plastic bottle, and I found like little shards of it, like in on the blanket he was eating it on, and I got really scared because like that actually could like puncture him, right? That could actually hurt him. We could have to take him to the hospital. And I think for us, sometimes we don't realize we, we can't be cavalier or casual about the things that we that we take into our hearts and into our lives. 
You know, the Bible says we spend enough time in the past doing these things. So I have to ask you, are the things that I just described, are they really in your past? Have you really left those things behind? What about not just doing those things? What about just thinking about it? What about just longing for it? Do you ever find yourself wishing you weren't a Christian so that you could do X, Y, and Z? Resenting your Christianity? Do you ever find yourself thinking, even maybe, now maybe this is where some of you are at, you sit here and you go, well, I would never do one of those things. Do you ever find yourself prideful? Not leaving your pride in the past? Judging your sisters who do struggle with the things I just talked about? Judging your friends on campus? Rather than having a heart of compassion? God wants us to leave these things behind. You know, um, there's no such thing as one foot in and one foot out Christianity. That's called lukewarm Christianity. And God says he'll spit us out if we're lukewarm in the book of Revelation. You know, I think for a lot of us, we still want to go to bars, flirt with guys, be up here with our boyfriends, go to parties on campus, wear clothes that we know we wouldn't wear in front of Jesus, and show up to church the next day like, I'm here. God says, no, 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 that's not biblical Christianity. You can't live that way and expect to make it to heaven. God says we can't go back to that life. You've been set free by God. You've been redeemed. He's taken your sin away from you. But do we live lives that reflect that freedom? You know, in the, in the rest of the scripture, it says that, um, that our friends in the world, it says that they're, they're not going to understand the choices that we've made. And that's so real. You know, people aren't in the world aren't going to fully get the decision that you've made. You know, some of you might live with non-Christians. Your, your non-Christian roommates are going to think you are crazy and that you have lost your mind. And that's okay. That probably means you're doing something right. If you just look the same as everybody on campus, it's a good question to ask yourself. Am I the same or am I really living a different life? Persecution is to be expected for us as Christians. Um, you know, I think I, I want to mention something to the disciples for a minute. You know, I think this is something I really dealt with in college was I definitely felt very torn, you know, and I, and I felt very introduced to the world in a way that I hadn't before going to college. And then even among other Christians in my campus ministry, I saw them dealing with that same struggle. And to be honest with you, I saw a lot of my friends giving in to some of the things I just talked about. And the idea of me standing up and saying, no, 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 that's actually not okay, guys. We need to live in a different way. And obviously not doing that in a judgmental way, but calling out sin for what it was. You can't look at the sisters in your ministry as like, how spiritual are they acting? And that be your standard of righteousness. Because we can't be each other's standards. Courtney can't be my standard for righteousness. Jesus has got to be my standard. I can't be your standard. Jesus has got to be your standard. And we all have to call one another to Jesus, not to ourselves. You guys with me on that? You know that if we're going to make it on this Christian walk, we've got to stop trying to head back. And we've got to keep moving forward. Amen? Second thing I want to talk about is one step at a time. Turn over to 1 Peter 4, verse 7 through 11. You know, I think once we decide, okay, I want to make Jesus Lord, I, I, want, to, I want to do this thing, I want to walk the walk, we can wonder, well, well then what are the, some of the day-to-day decisions I should make? Not just the things I need to leave, leave behind, but what do I actually do as a Christian? 
How do I actually live this life as a disciple? 1 Peter 4 and verse 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, we just talked about all things we need to give up, but what about things we need to do to stay faithful? Peter likes to hit us with lists in in 1 Peter, right? He tells us, okay, here's all things not to do and that you're leaving behind. But then here he actually tells you what to do, which I love. And um, and I think that this list is a lot more encouraging. So you guys ready to hear this? Come on. Okay. So he calls us to pray consistently, deeply from the heart. How's your prayer life going? He calls us to be alert and a sober mind. The girls in my campus ministry, they tell me that that means to stay woke spiritually. Do you guys ever hear that? That's what it means. You know, not maybe not of social injustice, but this is talking about just like, you got to stay woke of what Satan's trying to do in your life. you got to be aware of the temptations that Satan's trying to bring your way. He tells us to love one another deeply from the heart to build incredible, lifelong relationships. Isn't that so cool that that's like something God wants for you? He wants you to be close to people. He longs for you to have deep relationships with people. That's something he wants for you. He says he wants us to offer hospitality to one another, a.k.a. to serve one another, right? To have each other into our apartments, into our dining halls, you know, swipe it for each other, into our lives, to not grumble or complain about doing those things for each other, but to just look for ways to lay down our lives for each other. The Bible talks about how those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Have you ever come into church wondering why you don't leave encouraged? Have you ever done that before? You walk in and you're like, no one, no one hugged me today. Or maybe they hugged you because they like have to or something. But you know, you're like, no one asked me how I'm doing. Well, let me ask you, did you ask them how they were doing today? You know, we got to think of how are we doing refreshing others and not just thinking about, oh, how am I being refreshed? we got to use our spiritual gifts. If you aren't sure what your spiritual gifts are, that's okay. Ask someone, what do you see in me? What do you think my gifts are spiritually? Um, you know, they can be very, we have a lot of different spiritual gifts in this room that need to be cultivated and used. But God, you know, Peter makes it clear that whatever we're doing, whatever gifts we have, we're meant to use those things for God and not only for ourselves in our own lives. These aren't just a list of rules or to-dos that he's given us here. This is a list with heart. This is, a, this is a heart that's devoted to God and has made Jesus Lord and is looking for ways to please him. I think for a lot of us, Christianity can start to become that mundane list, right? Don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. Add this back into my schedule. Don't do that in my schedule anymore. But this is a list with heart. This is a list that if your heart isn't in it, you're going to hate it. But if your heart is there, if you're doing it because Jesus died for you and you stood at that crossroads and you said, Jesus is Lord, then it's going to be a list that can change your life. Um, 
You know, I think when I think about this, I actually think about a lot of the sisters in our ministry in Boston. And um, and I can I tell you about a couple of them. They're go- they're so great, and I know that they wish they could all know you, and maybe you guys would meet each other at ICMC or something. Like, oh, I heard a story about you. Um, they'll be terrified because I didn't ask them if I could tell them these stories. Well, it's okay. They're not bad. They're good. Um, you know, one of the girls is, uh, that I think of when I think about this idea of just living a lifestyle of daily lordship, I think about this girl, Trang, who became a Christian. She goes to a, a really small uh, liberal arts college, or maybe it's not liberal arts, I don't know, something, college called Simmons College in Boston. It's an all-women's school. And, you know, her mom is Vietnamese, so her mom is working a ton. It's an immigrant family. She's an amazing girl. And so she's always having to kind of help out at home, watching out for her younger brother. And, um, you know, she does a lot. And uh, she works part-time at Harvard and goes to school full-time and commutes from about an hour south of the city. It's a lot. So when she was becoming a Christian, we were like, are you sure, like, you're ready for this life, like, it's a lot to be devoted to Jesus, and you better believe, I mean, she didn't do it halfway, she isn't in it to do the bare minimum, there's nobody that comes in louder or more joyful than trying to church on Sunday mornings, you know, she's one of the most vibrant women in our campus ministry, a couple months back, she asked me, she said, you know, um, I was thinking, Alexander, can you send me a list of all the brothers in our ministry? I was like, oh, that's kind of weird, sure. I was like, why? Do you want to like, take them all out on dates or something? She's like, no, 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 that's how, I, I don't know, that's how what I mean. She's like, I want to organize a ministry-wide secret Santa where all the sisters in the whole ministry, which we have over 100 students in our ministry, she's like, I want all the sisters to pick the different brothers' names and buy them all presents and surprise them at the, at the Christmas party. I was like, that's amazing. I would love to give you all the brothers' names. That's awesome. You know, and she did it. She organized it, and they all come to the Christmas party, and the boys are shocked because they're all getting presents, you know, from their friends. It's just so cool. You know, she wasn't looking for the bare minimum. She was looking. How can I do more? What can I give? How can I be a great Christian and a great sister to my friends? You know, her first couple of months as a disciple, she even brought her friend Two out, who is one of her best friends from high school, and Two is now her sister in Christ as well. You know, another girl named Destiny, who's actually from Atlanta, she's like, yeah, you guys are Destiny. So she became a Christian back in April, and, you know, since she became a disciple, she's helped two more of her friends become a Christian, and another one has already said she wants to get baptized really soon, within the next couple weeks. You know, she was looking for ways, how can I do this every day for Jesus? How can this not just be a decision that I made, but a lifestyle that I'm making? You know, I think about this girl, Emma, who grew up in the church, Emma Fridley, and um, a lot of you probably know Emma, and she goes to Northeastern University, and she became a disciple in high school. She's super smart, super talented, in the world's eyes, but she came into college not just looking for a degree. She came into college to change lives, and, uh, you know, she helped her roommate, Katie, become a Christian. Katie's now an intern in our campus ministry with Emma. She helped another friend in her biology class, Abby, become a Christian. Abby now organizes everything, like rides all the time. For me, she's a miracle worker. Uh, You know, it's just incredible to see all the things that Emma does. Emma's actually currently in Bolivia, serving at the Hope Hospital in Bolivia for her co-op for school. You know, I just, all these women inspire me so much. And I'm sure, to be honest, someone could read your name on here tonight, too. I'm sure so many of you are doing incredible and inspiring things. 
balancing a lot. But I know there's others of us that maybe we haven't quite figured out how to use our gifts for God. We know how to use them for the world. We know how to pour it out for our, for our majors, for our careers, even for our families. But you've got to figure out, how do I do this for Jesus? It's possible to be full-time students and full-time disciples. It's possible to make Jesus Lord of this life stage. It's now. Now is the time to give God all of your heart. We can't compartmentalize our relationships with God and be like, okay, God, I'll give you this piece of my life, but not the rest. This part's for me. No, guys, everything we do has got to be for God. That doesn't mean we have to, that God expects you to sit in a perpetual state of worship and Bible study. That sounds kind of boring. That's how I used to think heaven was, but I, I think it's a little more exciting than that. Um, but he, it does mean that he wants to be the most important thing in your life. He wants to be Lord. You know, I want you to think, of, think about this. Do you ever ask yourself the question, what does God think about what I should do with my time? What does God think I should do with my life? How would God want me to handle this situation? Those are the kind of questions that a woman who's made Jesus Lord starts asking. Um, You know, I think for all of us, if if we've started to allow kind of some of these other things to edge out our relationship with God, if we've allowed other things to come, come between us and God, it's time to realign our priorities. If school's gotten to be more important for you than Jesus, you can change that today. If your boyfriend's become more important to you than Jesus, you can change that today. If other things have become more important, you can change that today. Jesus needs to be Lord of our daily decisions. Amen? Yeah, the last thing I want to talk about today is one foot in front of the other. You guys hanging in there? I know. Peter talks about a lot of stuff, so you guys are hanging in there really well. Okay, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler, whatever a meddler is. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? I love verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You know, there's one part of the Christian walk we probably haven't talked about a lot tonight, and it's really exciting not. It's called suffering. I don't know about you. Who, who in here enjoys suffering? No, probably no masochists, right? I don't like to suffer. I don't even like to wear high heels. Like, I, I figured out a way to wear toms on my wedding day. I like, got married in a barn just so I wouldn't have to wear heels on my wedding day. Like, how can I not feel uncomfortable? Um, it's just not my favorite thing. I don't even like that, you know, much less suffering. I don't know if you can call wearing high heels suffering, but I guess in our first world problems, that, that was like the peak of it for me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he tells them not to be surprised by suffering. That's what Peter's warning these disciples about. You know, and I think for whatever reason, I think that young women in our generation, we get it in our minds that if we follow Jesus, 
that we'll just be hashtag blessed for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Have you guys ever thought that? You gotta be honest. Like, when you like, go through something hard, you're like, but I'm a Christian. This shouldn't be my life. Like, I'm a disciple. I thought that when I went to the waters of baptism, I was saying goodbye to the hard life. Unfortunately, that's not true. You know, I think we love the Pinteresty scriptures that talk about how God will give us the desires of our heart, and we immediately assume that that'll mean and a husband in approximately four years. <laughs> but that's not always what it means. You know, uh, I think we avoid the scriptures, the Pinterest scriptures that talk about suffering and endurance and perseverance. Why? Because the, those don't look as cute. Uh, it doesn't feel as good, right? You know, I think but we have to learn not only how to endure suffering, but even what Peter says is he actually says rejoice in your sufferings. That's like, what? Like, how do you even do that? Not just endure, but rejoice. Um, you know, I think that God, though, the thing is he has a purpose for your suffering. He doesn't just want you to go through hard things just because he's mean. He's not mean. He has a purpose for your suffering. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. This is in the New Living Translation. It says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you, will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than your gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I love this scripture, right? Yeah. There's a wonderful joy ahead. God has wonderful things in store for you, but he does want to help your faith be genuine. That's a, that's a hard thing to understand right there. How could God want those two things? How could he want wonderful joy for us, but also to teach us something? I think we tend to think of those as, as very like, you can't have both, but God in his infinite wisdom, he knows how to do both of those things. You know, it's interesting, the Bible talks about suffering and trials um, and compares it to the refinement process of metals several times in the scriptures. You guys can write these down. Zechariah 13, verse 9, Daniel 11, verse 35, Psalm 66, verse 10, and Malachi 3, verse 2 and 3. Those are just a couple uh, examples. But over and over again, the Bible talks about refinement, like, a, like metal or like silver or gold, like it does here in 1 Peter, and, and that that's something that God does to our faith. Then how is metal refined? Through intense heat. Yeah, fire, that's right, fire. Yeah, it's, it's refined through intense heat. That was Zechariah 13.9, Daniel 11.35, Psalm 66.10, and Malachi 3.2-3. Sorry, I heard murmuring, so I thought maybe I went too fast. Um, but I want to actually, well, you know, I think the truth is we can resist suffering, we can fear it, and I think it is because we don't understand it. And I want to show you guys a video that I watched a couple months ago when I was going through a time of really intense suffering that I'll share with you guys in a second. But this is a video I saw that really helped me. Oh, sorry. It's okay. Oh, I hit the wrong button. You're doing great. <laughs>
she liked that. Um, you know, I, I love this video. When I watched it the first time, I was going through a really hard time, and I cried like a baby when I watched that video. And, um, you know, I think the truth is, is because that idea of God really watching us, of him sitting there and, and being being there with us when we're suffering, and that it, it has a purpose that was so unbelievable to me. You know, because suffering makes you feel alone. It makes you feel isolated, right, when you go through hard things. Um, you know, for us, um, the last two years have been the hardest years of my life. And I'll probably cry, which isn't like a shock for me. I kind of cry all the time. Uh, <laughs> but Jesse and I got married four and a half years ago, and we had a lot of plans about how our lives would go, right, as you, as you guys probably do as well. And, uh, you know, we decided to start, to start trying for a baby, something that I was always, I had always wanted about a couple years ago now. And, um, you know, about eight months into trying for a baby, I started to suspect that something was wrong. And um, at a year, we went to a fertility specialist, and we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which is like the medical way of saying, we have no idea what's wrong with you. Everything looks fine, but you have a problem. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, was, it was, I can't even tell you kind of the pain that that brought. And, um, you know, going to doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment, having so many blood tests done on my arm that I, I like, felt like a human pincushion. Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember one time I went in, and um, <laughs> this woman, I, it was, like, kind of one of the initial tests, and they went to do the test, and they, like, couldn't, I have, like, hard veins to find. It's, like, a really annoying thing. Um, and so I always have to, like, drink a lot of water so they can find my veins. It's super annoying. And so, anyway, so they find my vein, and then she, like, can't get it. So she's, like, stabbing me over and over. And then the other woman has to come, and then my arm starts spurting blood. And I just start, and, it, and then they fixed it, and it was fine. But I am, so, like, I start sobbing. And it was more because I was like, I can't believe this is my life right now. <laughs> like, I was just like, and the women were like, are you okay? And I was like, no, are you? <laughs> it was a really dramatic moment for me. But, you know, I felt like I was the youngest person in these fertility clinics, right? And I felt like I had a sign on my head that was like, young and infertile. Like, this is just not something I planned, God. This isn't something that I wanted. This, isn't, this didn't line up, right, with how I thought, oh, God, I serve you. Jesse and I, we spend all of our time trying to glorify you, and, and this is how it's going to be? You know, I would get on Facebook and see pregnancy announcement after pregnancy announcement. Those of you that have friends that get engaged, you probably feel that way too, right? Engagement announcement, dating relationship announcement. It's kind of the same way when you're getting pregnant or wanting to. And, uh, you know, I would feel like if I see another girl announce her pregnancy, I'm going to scream. And to be honest, sometimes I kind of did. But then I prayed about it, and it was great. Um, <laughs> but there were moments where I sat before God in total despair. And suffering tempted me to question a lot about him. It, 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 questioned, it, it, it caused me to question God's goodness, God's care, God's love for me. You know, I would feel like I, I know that God is sovereign. I get that. So does he just not care? Is he just not involved? And that was a terrifying reality check for me. 
And, uh, and I wondered if he was just sitting there watching, unmoved, uncaring. And I had to fight to believe that God had a purpose for my suffering. That my suffering was making me more like Jesus and that it was for my good. That it was bringing me closer to God. You know, it took prayer. It took reading and wrestling with the scriptures. It took a lot of listening to, Christ- to Christian music when I didn't have the words to say to God. It took being open with people. You know, I'll never forget this summer being open with Tom and Courtney and Jesse and I just bearing our souls at the, at the conference. It took moments like that to really get through those times. There was a refining that needed to happen in my life and in my heart. There was an entitlement in me that needed to be washed away. There was negative thinking that I needed to change. Jealousy that I needed to eradicate forever. And God worked on me little by little, day after day. And little by little, I started to change. When suffering comes, I'm betting that more often than not, you take it as a sign of God's displeasure with you. You know, I'm betting that you think he's mad at you if something bad happens. And let me be very clear about something tonight. That's not God's character. Even suffering that comes at the hands of people, comes at the hands of men, God can turn around. God can turn into something that can turn into something beautiful. Maybe you, maybe you experience things that are so much worse than even what I just described. Maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe you were verbally, physically, sexually abused. Maybe you were raped as a college student. You know, maybe your parents got divorced when you were young and you don't know if you even believe in the concept of marriage anymore. Maybe a boy broke your heart like last week. <laughs> right? That thought hurts too. Maybe your friends have betrayed you and you feel like you don't really even trust women. Like you're not sure if you can be friends, have deep friendships with other women. You know, maybe your, your family's just not supportive of you being a Christian and they're threatening to pull you out of school or a lot of other things if you make the decision to live for Jesus. Maybe someone close to you has passed away or you suffer from depression. I really appreciate what the sister uh, shared last night. That was amazing and really powerful. You know, maybe you're shackled by addiction. I don't know what your suffering is, but nothing is too great for our God to overcome. No situation is too dire that he can't turn around. I think we would all agree that God loved his son Jesus, right? Well, he allowed him to go through pain. Why? Because you can't get to resurrections without crosses. You can't experience the joy of a resurrection without enduring the cross sometimes. You'll never really know the joy of a celebration without suffering. Now, some of you might be sitting here feeling a little awkward, like, wait, I haven't been through any of the things she's talking about. I feel like maybe I haven't suffered at all. That's okay. Just tuck this away, because you will one day. There's something you'll go through, and you'll remember, you'll remember this time that that girl, you know, with the strange pseudo-southern New England accent said something, and you were like, oh, yeah, she talked about suffering. Peter talked about it, too. I can figure this out. It's okay if you haven't experienced this yet. Just know that it might come your way, that it will come your way. You know, some of you might, be feel, might feel tempted to give up on God when things get hard. Don't do it. It's the time to buck up and keep going. 
you know, we wouldn't have the ability to, um, that doesn't make sense. You know, if you do that, there's so many people, if we were to all give up, right, when things get hard, there'd be a lot of people that we could never help become Christians. We need to see you endure your suffering. You know, I'll never forget the day when Jesse and I found out that we were pregnant. It was the best day ever. Like, besides, you know, getting married and getting saved. Um, You know, I just remember being so in awe that God had granted us this miracle. And, you know, I remember telling people, and I would FaceTime all these people. I FaceTime Courtney. I FaceTime a bunch of friends because I had this whole group of people that were praying for us. And and, um, and just everyone we would tell would start weeping. And it was so cool to be like, wow, this is like everyone that we know has been begging God on our behalf for us. Like, People I don't even know would come up to me and tell me, I've been praying for you. How are you doing? And sometimes they would come up to me like, are you okay? And I'd be like, yes, I'm pregnant now. You can be happy for me. You you know, but it was so cool. Like Our suffering brought about more good than I can even tell you about. And more than an instant pregnancy ever could have. Friends that I've been able to help. Our doctor actually came to church a couple weeks ago, our fertility specialist, and was blown away. It was incredible. Um, We've been able to reach out to family members because of what we've gone through. I've been able to relate to people that I never would have been able to relate to. You know, God has turned suffering into celebration. You know, now I can't wait to tell this little girl one day about the miracle that her life is. You know, you're suffering... It's my kind of person right over there. (laughs) Your suffering can do the same thing if you allow it. Don't give up. Lean into the refining. Allow God to purify you. You know, we've talked about a lot tonight. And I hope you feel spiritually equipped to walk this Christian walk coming out of here tonight. I just want you to know that all the stuff we've talked about this weekend, you can do it with God's help. You can walk away from the lifestyle of sin that's been waiting to rope you back in. You can live for God and pursue righteousness and live a life of lordship. And you can endure suffering. In fact, you can overcome suffering. This walk is costly, and it's not merely a lot of talk, right? But if you decide to, it's going to gain you the richest relationship with God that you can ever imagine. Don't stop walking. Thanks, guys.